Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We are the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is afraid to talk about. The Doc Washburn Show podcast is available for download at all your favorite podcast platforms. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com. This is episode 180 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Friday, June 23rd, 2022. Do you understand how bad red flag laws are? Especially what the U.S. Senate is pushing on us? Just how good the U.S. Supreme Court's 6-3 gun rights ruling is? Details are coming up. As a matter of fact, just how seriously did 15 Republican and all 50 Democrat senators betray us with a gun control bill they approved Thursday evening? Senator Rand Paul will explain that for us coming up. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you would like to support what we do, go to our website, DocWashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Okay, before we get to the Supreme Court's fantastic gun rights ruling, U.S. Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky gave a remarkable explanation of some of the dangers of red flag laws in a speech on the Senate floor Thursday. I would be remiss in my duty if I didn't share it with you. I'm going to play the entire thing for you with limited interruptions, and then I will share with you the one thing that Senator Paul left out. So without any further ado, here is Rand Paul telling the rest of the senators, including the 15 Republicans and 50 Democrats who voted for this monstrosity, why they're wrong, and the whole world, except that Very few Americans will hear this. I'm blessed to be able to share it with you, and you're blessed to be able to hear it, because he is dead on the money. Here he is. John Miltimore, who writes for the Foundation for Economics and Education, writes, Red flag laws don't involve precogs seeing into the future, yet like pre-crime, they are designed to prevent a crime before it happens, even if it means violating civil rights in the process. Miltimore asks several important questions. Can people who are flagged as threats be involuntarily committed? Are they appointed legal counsel? Will a federal database be established to track flagged citizens? These are questions that civil libertarians should be asking, especially since many people who are red flagged will have committed no crime. 
There will simply be, like Philip Dix Anderton, people who might commit or might be a danger to someone. Miltimore reminds us that the idea of pre-crime didn't originate with the Minority Report. In 1984, Orwell writes that Big Brother's endless purges, arrests, tortures, imprisonments, and vaporizations are not the result of people breaking laws, for there are no laws in Oceania. These punishments, readers learn, are merely the wiping out of persons who perhaps might commit a crime at some time in the future. Are you notice Rand Paul is comparing red flag laws in America in 2022 to George Orwell's 1984. This is not the punishment of the crime. This is just guessing. Well, gee, I wonder if somebody's going to do something. This is not what they should have done to the Parkland High School shooter. They should have arrested him when he threatened to kill people. That's a felony. No, no, this is just guessing. All right, here's more Rand Paul. Red flag laws are well-intentioned. Everyone is searching for a way to prevent the senseless massacres of school mass shootings. I think accessing the violent criminal records of juveniles is a reasonable way to try to prevent these killings. Though really, most states have already laws on the books that criminalize threats of violence. The problem isn't a lack of laws to stop these killers. It's a lack of persistent application of existing laws. The shooters at Parkland and Buffalo both committed criminal threats in advance of their killing sprees, and yet law enforcement did not vigilantly prosecute them. That's what I was just trying to say. Instead of seeking to enforce existing laws, states have one after another instituted red flag laws to use gun confiscation orders to try to predict crime in advance. The problem comes in trying to create such laws and still protect the constitutional right to bear arms for the innocent. Basic aspects of the Constitution should not be abandoned, such as the right to confront your accuser. Some red flag laws allow anonymous accusers to initiate a gun confiscation order. That's not just, and that's not constitutional. We should not abandon the right to legal counsel, the right to confront the evidence, Many red state laws allow gun confiscation orders without the defendant even knowing they've been accused of anything. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Somebody shows up at your house, police, knocking down your door before dawn to take your guns away, and you're like, whoa, wait a minute, what? What's going on here? I haven't broken any laws. How am I finding out about this this way? Many state red flag laws allow guns to be confiscated without hearing evidence from both sides. Jacob Solomon Reason writes of Colorado's red flag law that the standard of proof for the initial gun confiscation order when the accused does not have an opportunity to respond, see for the initial order the accused is not present or doesn't need to be present, and the evidence comes from one side, but the standard that is used is called the preponderance of evidence, meaning the standard used that the accused is more likely than not to pose a significant 
risk. Historically, gun rights were only removed when the defendant was convicted of a crime using a constitutional standard of beyond a reasonable doubt. As Philip Mulivore writes at PJ Media, because reasonable doubt has been long established as the standard of proof for criminal cases, it must naturally apply to judicial proceedings in which an individual who has not even been charged with a crime can be stripped of a constitutional right. Nevertheless, red flag laws often rely on a preponderance of evidence, a radically diminished standard of proof, this above all other injuries, according to Philip Mulivore, is due process. It offends our system of liberty and a fair trial. Colorado's red flag law, as well as many other states, confiscates guns using a less than constitutional standard. Using a preponderance of evidence standard, which is a standard lower than the Constitution uses for criminal cases, it allows a gun confiscation order when a judge decides that it's a better than 50-50 chance of a person being a significant risk. Think about that. It's a little better than 50-50 that the person who's come before me, whom I've heard evidence only from the person who doesn't like that person, it's 50-50, maybe it's 51-49, but I'm going to take away a constitutional right. Whereas in a court proceeding where you're convicted of a crime, where you lose your gun rights because of a felony, the standard is beyond a reasonable doubt. In practice, the other problem with the red flag laws is that judges will be inclined to err on the side of caution. Now, wait a minute. Some just dawned on me. The red flag law has a lower burden of proof for you losing your gun than, than, than a criminal trial. Preponderance of evidence instead of guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Wow. Okay, now, now, now he's getting on to the fact about how judges are going to want to be cautious. This, this, this is key. When the only evidence comes from someone who believes the respondent poses a threat, judges will rarely, if ever, decline to issue a temporary gun confiscation order. One might ask if our laws should allow the abridgment of a constitutional right when only one side of the evidence is presented. Yeah, I mean, you, you have a constitutional right to face your accuser in court. Maybe that's why the United States Supreme Court ruled red flag laws are unconstitutional just last year. And it wasn't five to four. It wasn't six to three. It wasn't seven to two. It wasn't even eight to one. Nine to nothing. All of the Supreme Court justices ruled red flag laws unconstitutional just a year ago. Did you know that? Here's more Rand Paul. Imagine if the proceeding is a complaint filed by an unhappy spouse in the midst of a divorce. Most cases of divorce involve one side cheating or at least one side lying. It's exceedingly difficult to ascertain the truth in a divorce proceeding, even when both sides are heard. One can just imagine what mischief might occur if divorce proceedings only allowed testimony from one side. 
If you think red flag laws will be easy to adjudicate, just imagine a case involving Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Oh! Did you see any of that? Do you have any idea what the deal was? I mean, the jury ruled overwhelmingly with Johnny Depp because they came to the conclusion this Amber Heard person was a psycho and dangerous. Now, you've probably never known anybody like that yourself. But trust me, there are some people like that in the world. People who are mentally imbalanced, uh, but you never know it. Ordinarily, they, they present very well, but when the chips are down, uh, they can be uh, quite vicious. Not that I've, I've ever known, you know, just just anecdotally. Yeah. Not that I have any, any personal experience anybody like that. Just, uh, you know, things you hear. Things you hear. That's all, that's all I'm saying. As Solomon points out, there is, from the judge's point of view, the possible downside of rejecting a petition, a serious downside. The death of a respondent or someone else will weigh heavily on the judge's mind, while the temporary deprivation of a subject's constitutional rights will seem trivial by comparison. The presumption will be if the temporary order where you only heard evidence from one side was granted, that the judge is taking a real risk by overturning or not granting the permanent order when evidence is actually heard on both sides. So you begin with the temporary order. It's ex parte. You don't have legal counsel. Only evidence is heard from one side. But then you get to the next stage and you say, well, the person gets justice later. They're going to get a lawyer. There will be a proceeding. There'll be due process at a later date. But see, the Constitution doesn't say anything about due process at a later date. You deserve due process now. I'm sorry, I'm I'm, I'm trying to stop interrupting so much. Grand Paul. And yet the cards are stacked. Because think of the perspective of the judge. Think of the predicament of the judge. He now has before him an emergency order that says this person is a dangerous person. For him or her to rule otherwise, they're taking a big risk. Because the first judge or the first ruling said this person is dangerous. Now the judge has to say and has to somehow attest and prove and live with themselves that he's now attesting this person is not a danger. But the first hearing was only one side of the evidence. The first hearing may have been an aggrieved party in a divorce. It may have been an unhappy person who doesn't like you at work. It may have been someone who doesn't like your political views and is reading online and says that so-and-so had a picture of a gun or that so-and-so made some sort of violent innuendo. Read Twitter and find out how much of that's going on. There is a danger to this. It's not that anyone is downplaying the sad, awful nature of these massacres We don't want to stop them, but we should do it in a fashion consistent with the Constitution. With the red flag law, the initial hearing has evidence only from those who accuse you of something. That cannot be justice. The bedrock aspect of justice in our country is you get legal counsel, that there's a debate back and forth. Go to family court. And you think some of this won't originate from family court? Do you think there's not going to be an angry spouse who says, my husband cheated on me. My husband's a hunter. I'm going to accuse him of something so I can get his guns taken away from him. I can't imagine. Can you? 
sense do you have to hear both sides? How could you only hear from the angry spouse? In divorce, we don't hear from one side. How could we have a hearing where you take away an amendment or take away a constitutional right from the Bill of Rights without hearing evidence on both sides? And you say, well, we'll hear it at the second hearing, 14 days later. The problem with the second hearing is you now have a judge who feels the incumbent pressure of not changing an initial ruling, of feeling, well, we've already decided this person's a threat, and now I have to take the responsibility of guaranteeing they're not a threat. See, if you had the jurisprudence, if you had the due process in the first hearing, then you wouldn't have to worry so much about it being fair in the second hearing. If you have time to go before a judge, I see no reason why you don't have time to have your attorney present. They have time enough to have a hearing. They have time enough to hear the person accusing you. Shouldn't they have time enough to have someone defending you? In Colorado, a temporary gun confiscation order lasts for about 14 days, at which point the judge has to schedule a hearing where the accused finally has a chance to challenge the claims. I think about that. They take guns away for 14 days in Colorado before you even get a hearing. Think about that, because we'll come back to that. More from Rand Paul. At this second proceeding, the legal standard is a little greater, at least in Colorado. It goes from preponderance or 50-50, slightly better than 50-50. It goes from a standard of that to a standard that is clear and convincing evidence. Under Colorado's red flag law, though, the first gun confiscation order needs to show imminent risk. But when you get to the second order, interestingly, the order that's going to last a year, you don't have to prove that the person is an imminent risk. All you have to say is that they might be a risk at some point in time. So we've lost sort of the imminence to it. In 14 days, the imminence is gone, and now we have a proceeding where we're going to hear evidence on both sides, and you can have counsel. Not always guaranteed counsel, but you at least can have a lawyer present. But you got to pay for the lawyer. In order to remove a gun confiscation order, though, and recover one's Second Amendment rights... The burden, though, is now placed on the accused. So there's something that's very, very common. It is throughout all of our jurisprudence that you're innocent until proven guilty. The burden is on the government. But now once you've gone through one of these gun restraining orders, in order to get your rights back, you have to prove that you're not a risk. So in this process, you are presumed guilty so you can prove yourself innocent. Kind of like uh, when Child Protective Services takes your children away. You're presumed innocent until you can uh, prove yourself, you're, pre- you're presumed guilty until you can prove yourself innocent, which is unconstitutional, anti-American. But there, there, there you have it. And all 50 Democrat senators and 15 Republican senators just voted for this, including a number of senators who are retiring this year, like uh, uh, Pat Toomey and Rob Portman and uh, Roy Blunt and Richard Burr, all retiring this year. And a whole lot of senators are not up for re-election until 2026. Only two up for re-election this year voted for this monstrosity. Todd Young of Indiana 
and Lisa Murkowski of Alaska. Here's more from Rand Paul. The burden is now on the accused to prove that either you're sane or that you are not a risk. It's proving a negative. If you never were a risk, how do you prove that you're no longer a risk? How do you prove you're the negative of something? How do you prove that you're not a risk? This turns typical jurisprudence on its head. Instead of innocent until proven guilty, the burden is for the accused to prove his or her innocence. This is the opposite of what our jurisprudence system was founded upon. Sullum writes, if the judge issues a gun confiscation order, it lasts for 364 days unless the subject seeks early termination and shows by clear and convincing evidence that he or she does not pose a significant risk. Rhode Island's red flag law is similar, remaining in effect for about a year before the accused can challenge it. For the accused to restore his Second Amendment rights, once again, the burden is on the accused to prove that they are innocent. And 15 Republican senators voted for this. Now, they're not voting for a national red flag law, but they're voting for the United States government, which is $30 trillion in debt, to waive money at the states to fund their red flag laws. It's outrageous. The ACLU of Rhode Island asked an important question. How does one prove this negative? And how does one do it with such a high burden of proof? The ACLU concludes that in ending a gun confiscation of order, the burden should be on the government to prove by clear and convincing evidence that it should remain in fact, not on the accused to halt the continued imposition. This is the ACLU of Rhode Island saying the burden should be on the government the same way the burden is traditionally in any other court proceeding in our country. So even the ACLU says we've got a problem here. Do you, know, you notice this? You don't have to prove you're innocent. The government must prove you're guilty. If the government's going to take away your Second Amendment right, shouldn't the government have to prove that you're either a threat or that you're guilty of something? Eagle County Sheriff James Van Beek notes that when the subject in a gu- of a gun compensation order tries to have it terminated, the burden of proof's not on the government. As- Shouldn't the government have to prove you're guilty of something? Nope. It is in every other legal case, but instead is placed on the accused to prove that the accusations are wrong. Sheriff Van Beek explains that proving one's sanity could be very difficult, as it is highly subjective. But proof of one's sanity is not enough to remove a gun confiscation order, since the accused can be a threat, even if determined to be sane. Van Beek also worries that if a person is truly in a mental crisis, this aggressive approach will create even greater stress, possibly resulting in a violent overreaction as their personal property has been taken without a crime of ever being committed. In Maryland, this is precisely what happened. When police attempted to serve a gun confiscation order, there was a fight ensued. The person was startled by it. He had never heard there was a problem. They showed up at his house, and he ended up dying in the ensuing uh, altercation. All right, let me uh, let me let me give you some detail on that because this is very important. A very important case in Maryland where a gentleman died 
when the cops showed up to impose a red flag law. Okay. Let's go to uh, bearing arms. Well, I've got Breitbart had it. November 11th, 2018. The New American had it November 6th, 2018. Law-abiding gun owner killed during red flag confiscation raid. And then BearingArms.com updated it a couple of months later, January 16th, 2019. And here's the deal. Gary J. Willis, a 60-year-old gun owner, answered a knock on his door at 5.17 in the morning. Like most of us, he decided to answer the door armed, suspicious of why anyone would come calling at such an ungodly hour. It was the police who had come to take away Willis's guns in accordance with a red flag law determination. A struggle followed, and Willis was shot and killed by the police. But apparently the protective order was taken out against Willis by a family member after an argument as a means of punishing Willis for his political opinions. The fact that there's been no official word, like two months after the shooting, about what the order entailed and why it was taken out, isn't helping that speculation in the least. And that's part of the problem. So many of these laws written in such a way they can be used as a means of punishment. Further, while Maryland is touting it stops people with red flag laws, it's also impossible to know how many of those people could have been stopped without the red flag laws. Now, let me, let me get you a little bit more detail here. From Breitbart, Anne Arundel County, Maryland, police shot and killed 61-year-old Gary J. Willis while executing a firearm confiscation order under Maryland's red flag law. Anne Arundel County Police Chief Timothy Altamere suggests the incident proves the importance of red flag laws. The Capital Gazette newspaper quoted Altamere saying the two officers who went to Willis's home around 5 o'clock in the morning did the best they could with the situation they had. He also said, if you look at this morning's outcome, it's tough for us to say, well, what do we prevent? Because we don't know what we prevented or could have prevented. What would have happened if we didn't go there at 5 a.m.? Hey, there's an idea. Police say Willis initially had a gun in hand when he answered the 5 a.m. knock at his door, but he put the gun down when he realized officers, police officers, were knocking, but he picked the gun back up when he ascertained that the officers had come to take his firearms. The officers tried to wrestle the gun away from Willis, and it went off, striking no one, but one of the two police officers fired a shot in response, killing Willis. The details behind the issuance of a confiscation order against Willis have not been reported. All that is known is that a niece said one of her aunts requested the order. WBAL-TV out of Baltimore quoted Anne Arundel County Police Sergeant Jacqueline Davis saying, Not only are we going to a house to take somebody's guns, we know they're armed, we know they have guns, but we have the court telling us this person is mentally unstable enough that they can't have guns. That's the whole point of this order. We don't have discretion on that at all. It's an emergency order. 
Maryland's red flag law took effect October 1st, 2018, and law enforcement predicts over 1,300 confiscation orders will be issued by the end of the year. 1,300 confiscation orders in just three months. Who knows how many they've done since then. This was in November 2018. What we do know is this 60- or 61-year-old gentleman was shot and killed by a police officer. And uh, what we do know is that the red flag laws have now been ruled unconstitutional by the U.S. Supreme Court. But see, you can't get him back. You, uh, you can't get him back. Yeah, what would it have been like if they didn't show up at 5 o'clock in the morning? The guy put the gun down when he saw his police officers. He picked it back up when he realized they, they were going to try to take his gun away. There's still an elf in the living room, but I'll get to it. Uh, more from Rand Paul. When police seize guns from the subject of a gun confiscation order, Sheriff Van Beek notes, there's no warning or ability to defend themselves against the charges. In addition, if troubled individuals understand that seeking care exposes them to the risk of a gun confiscation order, some may be inclined to avoid psychiatric help. With the large universe of people who can initiate a gun confiscation complaint, from ex-girlfriends to former roommates to grandparents to in-laws to second cousins, Sullum concludes that the opportunities for malice or honest error are multiplied. Yeah, I mean, they said this gun control bill, they passed out of the U.S. Senate Thursday night and they'll probably pass the House uh, Friday, includes the term dating partners. It's crazy. It's crazy. You know, G. Gordon Liddy used to say since he was convicted felon, he didn't own any guns, but Mrs. Liddy certainly did. Well, this would get rid of that. Not, not, not just your spouse can't own a gun, your dating partner, whatever that means. In some ways, the process really is biased throughout because of the risk aversion on the part of the judge. Once a gun confiscation order is issued and the accused has been labeled a threat, many judges will simply not want the responsibility of judging otherwise because of the deadly consequences if they are wrong. As Solemn concludes, given that bias, the indeterminacy of significant risk and the difficulty of predicting an accused behavior, it seems inevitable that the vast majority of people who lose their constitutional rights under this sort of law will in actuality pose no real threat to themselves or others. Philip Mullivore, writing at PJ Media of the constitutional deficiencies of gun confiscation orders, points out another deficiency. He says the void for vagueness doctrine, a cornerstone of American jurisprudence, requires laws to be written in a manner that does not encourage arbitrary and discriminatory enforcement. He goes on to say, by forcing a judge to predict a person's future criminalistic behavior in the absence of any violation of law, red flag statutes descend to the most disreputable level of arbitrary and discriminatory legislation. Yeah, it's like a kangaroo court. So it's like a banana republic, third world. 
Yeah, yeah, th- th- there's no standard of law here. Mullivore concludes that due process is always denied when a law fails to comport with the vagueness doctrine's imperative for clear and consistent standards. Fortunately, the vagueness doctrine, this is also Mulliver's point, fortunately, the vagueness doctrine is most likely to prevail when an ambiguous law threatens a constitutional right, such as free speech or the right to keep and bear arms. The ACLU of Rhode Island has written perhaps one of the best reasoned critiques of red flag laws. The ACLU of Rhode Island writes, we are deeply concerned about the red flag law's breadth, its impact on civil liberties, and the precedent it sets for the use of coercive measures against individuals, not because they are alleged to have committed a crime, but because somebody believes they might someday commit one. The ACLU of Rhode Island writes that the court order authorized by this legislation would be issued without any indication that the person possesses an imminent threat to others. The order would be issued without any evidence that the person ever committed or has even threatened to commit an act of violence with a firearm. The ACLU continues, the Rhode Island red flag law that the standard for seeking issuing order is so broad it could routinely be used against people who engage in overblown political rhetoric. They want to uh, punish enemies of the regime. That's what this is about. You got a whole lot of Republican senators, more than just the 15 who voted for this monstrosity, who don't care, who see you as the enemy, who think they have a lot more in common with uh, Chuck Schumer than they do with you. I'm just, I'm just letting you know. On social media. Realize what we're talking about here. We're talking about red flag laws being used against people for overblown political rhetoric. If you've been on social media, that's 90% of what's on social media. Without the presence of counsel, this is once again the ACLU of Rhode Island, without the presence of counsel, individuals who have no intent to commit violent crimes could nonetheless unwittingly incriminate themselves regardless of lesser offenses. Because when they're brought in without a lawyer, they can be questioned as to other things that could possibly be illegal. The heart of the legislation, Rhode Island's gun confiscation orders, requires speculation on the part of both the petitioner, the accuser, and the judges about an individual's risk of possible violence. Just guessing, just speculating. Unbelievable. Mulvar writes, the psychiatry and the medical sciences have not succeeded in this realm, and there is no basis for believing courts will do any better. He concludes, the potential impact on individuals subject to these gun confiscation orders involves much more than a long-term seizure of lawfully owned firearms. Now, this is once again from the Rhode Island ACLU. They point out that without a right to be appointed counsel, respondents can be forced to submit to a mental health evaluation. Subject to fairly widespread notifications even before a court order has been used against them. Forced to a a psyche valve. Really? So what if the uh, psychiatrist decides... You're nuts because he doesn't like your religious beliefs. 
face contempt proceedings and prison for failing to abide by any part of the order and unwillingly, unwittingly place themselves in danger. So the Rhode Island law, the Rhode Island red flag law, actually requires that people be notified that you are a risk to them if they are a potential victim before the order is issued. So we're not talking just about the lack of due process in the sense that you don't have a lawyer there. You may not have been accused of a crime or informed that you might be potentially going to commit a crime. But also, in advance of the judge, even making the judgment, the police are told if this accusation is being made, they must inform people. So you have to imagine the innocent. We can all imagine the guilty, and we say, lock them up, take away their guns. But imagine the innocent. Imagine someone who's innocent and is in a divorce proceeding, and his angry spouse calls up and says, he's a threat. They go, and even before the court order, even before the judge makes the court order, the judge and the police say, we must inform those he might be a threat to. What if that involves his business place? Are we going to inform his boss? Are we going to avoid all his friends? Are we going to call all the schools in the area? What if they're innocent? You- I mean, the fact that 50, all 50 Democrat U.S. Senators and 15 Republican U.S. Senators vote for this monstrosity shows they don't care about the Constitution. They don't care about your rights. Lindsey Graham. Sean Hannity will never say anything bad about Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham voted for this. Now, Sean, wait and see, Sean. We're going to get to the bottom of this. The same Lindsey Graham who thought this, or said he thought the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling Thursday on concealed carry, which is fantastic, and then he votes for this. You've only heard, you haven't even heard the evidence that's only coming from one side. What if they are innocent? Can you imagine a person's life, entire life being ruined? How do you ever get employment again? Do you think he's going to be fired if the boss now has been called up by the police and say, we've got a gun gun order against this guy because we think he's a threat. He might be a threat to his fellow employees. He might be a threat to his wife. He might be a threat to schools. But we're going to do this and we're letting you know so you can beware. Who wants that person to work? for them. If you're doing a background check years later and they've had a gun confiscation order in their background, whoever wants to order this person? So you have to imagine what happens to the innocent. We can all imagine the terrible, horrible, murdering psychopaths that have committed these massacres and how we want them locked up, how we want to prevent the killings. But you have to imagine when you have sweeping laws, what are the potential abuses of the laws? You have to imagine what it would be like to be an innocent person accused of something in a divorce proceeding where it escalates, where they ask for a gun confiscation order and it's based on malice and it's based on lies and deceits and anger over a broken marriage. This can and will happen. It happens in family court every day. The difference between a divorce and a gun confiscation order is in a divorce, which is very messy, you hear both sides. In a gun confiscation order, the initial order to take away the guns in almost every red state law involves only the judge and the accuser. 
Nobody believes that to be justice. It's never been justice. I mean, when people point out the injustice of systems, of legal systems, they go back to, you know, Venice and they point out the doge. They had a, a lion's mouth and you could put your complaint in the mouth and it was anonymous and they'd, you know, make people walk the bridge of size to, to prison or to death. That wasn't justice. We point that out of the height of injustice. Anonymous accusations, hearing only one side. There's some people who argue that the bedrock of our jurisprudence is the adversarial process of the legal system. The adversarial process is you get a lawyer. The other side gets a lawyer. And you know what? We go one step further in our in our system. Government has a lawyer. You have a lawyer. But you know what? The presumption is that you are an We start out with the presumption of the individual being innocent, and we add the hurdle to the government, the burden of proof that they must prove your guilt. And in the Constitution, we say for a criminal offense, we must prove the guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. And yet, we're talking about taking away fundamental constitutional rights with only hearing the evidence from one side, and the standard would be a preponderance of the evidence. What's a preponderance? It's 50-50, and it's 51-49, we think the person might be a threat. But we've only heard from their spouse, and we didn't hear from them. We only heard from their estranged spouse, or we only heard from the person that's angry with them at work, or we only heard from the person from the opposite political persuasion that, that read their writings on the Internet. We can see, we can all see the mischief for this. So I wish in the middle of this, in the middle of these tragedies, that we would think of what we could do. New York's already got these red flag laws. New York's got lots of them. New York's got lots of gun control. And yet the shooting happened in Buffalo. But the kid in Buffalo had made a threat. It's a felony to, to make a threat to kill others. He could have been prosecuted. So I fear, even with this law, if we don't pay attention to the laws we already have, if we don't persist and persevere in prosecuting these kids that show this danger, we already have. It's not that we just have the signals. They might. They are committing crimes. Why don't we prosecute them? Why don't we use the laws in the book? But I would say that there is a big risk today to encouraging across the country jurisprudence where you don't have legal representation, where the adjudication is based on evidence only from one side, and then you finally get your day in court and you get your lawyer, and everybody's petrified of reversing a decision where you've been named a threat. So I think we want the same thing in the end. My hope, though, is that people will be very careful because I would not want to see a day where we change and reverse justice in our system such that people are guilty until proven innocent. The bedrock of American jurisprudence is innocent until proven guilty. The burdens on the government. And until we can make red flag laws consistent with innocent until proven guilty, we should reject them. Amen. That's the truth. That's the truth. They're just ripe for abuse. They're unconstitutional, and they're ripe for abuse. Now, there's one thing. There's one thing that Senator Rand Paul left out, which I'm positive he would agree with. And we'll get to that in just a moment. First of all, I just want to say how thankful we are for our advertisers for making it possible for us to do what we do here five days a week on the Doc Washburn Show, even if we're doing the live stream at 3 a.m. 
Central. Thank you to our advertisers. If you try to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website to put you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions and then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live, redriveryourway.com. You will be glad you did. We talk a lot about pushing back against the overreach of the federal government. What better example would there be than Obamacare? Are you like most Americans? Did Obamacare, the so-called Affordable Care Act, make your health care more expensive? Does your health insurance premium feel like a second mortgage? Does your sky-high deductible prevent you from going to the doctor? Do your sky-high co-pays keep you from going to the doctor? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you need to go to a website called MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. When you click on MyFamilyHealthPlan.com, you see the big, bold letters, Affordable Plans. Save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no co-pays. And then that big, beautiful red button that says Schedule Call Now. You click on the red button, you book a free consultation with my friend Art Wilborn. He makes sure there are no gaps in your coverage, and he also makes sure that your personalized health coverage gives you a plan that doesn't force you to cover things like abortion, horrible things which would deeply offend your deeply held religious beliefs. MyFamilyHealthPlan.com, affordable plans Save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no co-pays. Click the big red button, schedule a call now, book a free consultation with Art Wilborn. He makes sure there are no gaps in your coverage. Save money on your insurance at myfamilyhealthplan.com. All right, let me ask you this. Does your financial advisor take the time to listen and get to know you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situations change? When you work with Jonathan Presswood, he focuses on what's important to you. He uses an established process to help you achieve your unique goals, whether that's preparing for retirement, making your money last in retirement, planning your estate or inheritance, preparing for the unexpected, or anything else. Jonathan Presswood can help. Now, what should you do if you leave a job and have a 401k or other retirement plan? Or if you're getting close to retirement or already in retirement, call my friend Jonathan Presswood today. He'll help you create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, 
tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And you'll partner together with you to help your strategy stay on track no matter what life throws at you. Listen, we can all dream of having a perfect retirement, but how many of us will actually experience it? No matter where you are today, Jonathan Presswood is offering a free retirement analysis to figure out where you'd like to be and what it will take to get you there, and there's no obligation. Contact Jonathan Presswood, a financial advisor with Edward Jones Investments, today at 501-303-4844. Again, that's 501-303-4844. Don't wait. Call Jonathan Presswood today at 501 303 4844. Now, if you're like me, you can't remember phone numbers, go to our website, docwashburnshow.com. Just click on the link to Jonathan Presswood at Edward Jones. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. And we'll say thank you so much to our advertisers, our friends, Jonathan Presswood at Edward Jones Financial, Art Wilborn, MyFamilyHealthPlan.com, and Mitch Ward. With RedRiverYourWay.com. Thank you so much for allowing us to do what we do. So, uh, Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul, had a great explanation of the constitutional difficulties of this whole red flag law business and why it's unconstitutional and why it violates your rights. The, the one thing he doesn't mention, whether your guns are taken away from you for 14 days or a year or whatever it is, is that leaves you a sitting duck. You're unable to defend yourself. And um, in a case where they got to let everybody around you know, they know uh, red flag laws are going to lead to a lot of people being killed because an armed society is a polite society. You know what I'm saying, Holmes? Let me say it again. An armed society is a polite society. One of the reasons that violent crime is so much worse in areas where people are not, uh, you know, are not allowed to carry guns is because the bad guys know that you're not going to shoot them. You know, Mexico, the cartels control. Massive parts of that country. Why? Because regular folks like you and me are not allowed to protect and defend themselves. It's as simple as that. This is really bad. And people are saying, well, you know, the Supreme Court will overturn it. Well, eventually, but that, that could take quite a while. That could take quite a while. All right, now, we want to deal with Thursday's U.S. Supreme Court decision in the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin in the state of New York. Victoria Taft over PJ Media. Wonderful article entitled, The key ways Justice Thomas vanquished gun grabbers in his Bruin decision. Okay? 
She says, it couldn't have been more perfect than Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas penning the definitive decision that the right to carry guns on one's person for self-defense is inherent for all Americans, first of all. Thomas has been after the court to take up more gun rights cases. He used his considerable influence with Chief Justice John Roberts to continue looking for gun rights cases to take. The New York State Rifle and Pistol Association, Incorporated et al. versus Bruin, in the state of New York, was the obvious choice. Remember, the state of New York, before Thursday's decision, as a May issue state, read the tea leaves and tailored its law after the federal courts were prevailed upon to take the case. Second, Clarence Thomas is the one who assigns the decisions when the conservatives are in the majority due to his seniority on the court. According to former federal prosecutor Andy McCarthy, Thomas assigned himself the task of writing for the majority opinion. This may explain why he chose Justice Samuel Alito to pen the other hot-button decision of the court this session, the Dobbs abortion case in Mississippi. Thomas left no doubt that there should not be a test to determine if one should be permitted to carry a gun. Concurring opinions by Justices Roberts, Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett made clear that this doesn't mean the right is unfettered, but the justices must apply strict scrutiny to any decision about it, as all civil rights cases must be considered. Thomas wrote the constitutional right to keep, pardon me, Thomas wrote the constitutional right to bear arms in public for self-defense is not a second-class right. Subject to an entirely different body of rules than the other Bill of Rights guarantees. And he referenced the, uh, the McDonald case on that. The exercise of other constitutional rights does not require individuals to demonstrate to government officers some special need. The Second Amendment right to ca- carry arms in public for self-defense is no different. New York's proper cause requirement violates the 14th Amendment by preventing law-abiding citizens with ordinary self-defense needs from exercising their right to keep and bear arms in public. New York and other may-issue states require persons who want to carry a weapon to demonstrate a need with which the state agrees. See, they're a may-issue state instead of a shell-issue state. Or they were. And Clarence Thomas... noting that the Heller decision had already decided this issue, blew that up for good. Saying the two-step balancing test required by the state was one step too many. 
Indeed, the one test he endorsed was the historical tradition of the American people, which demands our unqualified deference. When was the last time you heard someone in the federal government say that? Anticipating the reaction of the three justices who reflexively and predictably dissented, will these people ever surprise us, or is that just left to the conservative majority members? Thomas's historical recitation noted the ways that gun laws were misused, writing that even in the Dred Scott decision, Chief Justice Taney recognized, albeit unenthusiastically in the case of blacks, that public carry was a component of the right to keep and bear arms, a right free blacks were often denied in antebellum America, in other words, before the Civil War. In other words, denying gun rights or creating a test that's too onerous is racist. Justice Alito Writing a concurrence also mentioned the civil rights groups Black Guns Matter, Asian Pacific Gun Owners, and National African American Gun Association, among others, who filed amicus briefs drawing attention to how minorities tend to have an even greater need to defend themselves. Justice Alito also took the court's liberal minority to task for their emotional arguments, untethered from the issue at hand. Alito wrote, The dissent cites statistics on children and adolescents killed by guns, but what does this have to do with the question whether an adult who is licensed to possess a handgun may be prohibited from carrying it outside the home? He continued, his total, uh, he continued his total annihilation, writing, The dissent cites the large number of guns in private hands, nearly 400 million, but it does not explain what this statistic has to do with the question whether a person who already has the right to keep a gun in the home for self-defense is likely to be deterred from acquiring a gun by the knowledge that the gun cannot be carried outside the home. And thankfully... Alito included the truism that criminals don't obey gun laws. He said, no one apparently knows how many of the 400 million privately held guns are in the hands of criminals, but there can be little doubt that many muggers and rapists are armed and are undeterred by New York Sullivan Law. Some of the very reasons he judged why law-abiding citizens feel the need to carry a gun for self-defense. Now, before the concurrent and dissenting opinions, Judge Thomas issued his coup de grace on any lingering doubts there could be about the right to, to bear arms under the Second and Fourteenth Amendments. Justice Thomas said, We know of no other constitutional right that an individual may exercise only after demonstrating to government officers some special need. That is not how the First Amendment works when it comes to unpopular speech or the free exercise of religion. It is not how the Sixth Amendment works when it comes to a defendant's right to confront the witnesses against him. And it is not how the Second Amendment works when it comes to public carry for self-defense. 
New York's proper cause requirement violates the 14th Amendment in that it prevents law-abiding citizens with ordinary self-defense needs from exercising their right to keep and bear arms. We therefore reverse the judgment of the Court of Appeals and remand the case for further proceedings consistent with this opinion. The gun decision was likely written months ago, but it was released, among, among many other decisions, on Clarence Thomas's 74th birthday. As one observer on Twitter put it, it's a generous man who gives everyone else a gift on his birthday. It's beautiful. Beautiful. That is uh, Victoria Taft over at PJ Media, the key ways Justice Thomas vanquished gun grabbers in his Bruin decision. Now, unfortunately, you have um, some folks out there that have decided that they're going to commit insurrection by ignoring the U.S. Supreme Court. New York City Mayor Eric Adams responded to the Supreme Court decision to overturn New York's concealed gun law, saying nothing changes today, adding we cannot allow New York to become the wild, wild west. And the great Kurt Schlichter, retired Colonel Kurt Schlichter, said insurrectionist alert. And indeed, indeed, another guy I follow on uh, Twitter, KBR, says, the mayor of New York City is planning to ignore the Supreme Court? Yeah, but let's hear more about how people dressed as Vikings trespassing at the Capitol almost ended our democracy. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, and by the way, Alito and his uh, concurrence, Eric Erickson of Talk Radio in Atlanta points out, Alito saying, and how does the, the dissent account for the fact that one of the mass shootings near the top of its list took place in Buffalo? The New York law at issue in this case obviously did not stop that perpetrator. Alito on fire. Joe Biden's Justice Department weighed in on the ruling. They said, we respectfully disagree with the court's conclusion that the Second Amendment forbids New York's reasonable requirement that individuals seeking to carry a concealed handgun must show that they need to do so for self-defense. My buddy Fool Nelson, I follow over on Twitter, he says, isn't it an insurrection when the enforcer of the law of the land disagrees with the law of the land? Yeah, that's what it sounds like. And what it is, is what it sounds like. Again, Lindsey Graham saying, Great day for the Second Amendment. At its core, the Supreme Court ruled that the right to bear arms is the right to defend oneself and one's property. The New York law was a tremendous overreach putting unconstitutional requirements on concealed carry permits. But Mama Bear on Twitter points out rhinos can't be this stupid not to notice the irony in this. Yeah, because he's voting for the red flag laws. Unbelievable. 
Matthew H. over there on Twitter says, the same people who support arming Ukrainians halfway around the world with our money are outraged over the U.S. Supreme Court ruling protecting our rights. Your enemy is right here in your own backyard. That's true. That's true. By the way, the leading candidate for the Republican nomination for governor in Michigan was red flagged by a Michigan judge who found out that he happened to be at the Capitol on January 6, 2021. That's it. That's all he needed. The, the, the judge to order the leading Republican candidate for governor to surrender his guns. These idiots in the Senate are pretending that the red flag laws won't be abused. Well, that's outrageous. Mary Chastain over at Legal Insurrection has the article, Biden and leftists hate the Supreme Court upheld the Second and Fourteenth Amendment in the New York concealed carry case. Yeah. By the way, uh, Keith Olbermann, you remember him? Used to be a political commentator, used to be a sports guy. He says it has become necessary to dissolve the Supreme Court of the United States. The first step is for a state. The court has now forced guns upon to ignore this ruling. Great, you're a court. Why and how do you think you can enforce your rulings? Hashtag ignore the court. Now, there's a problem with this. As a matter of fact, uh, Marco Rubio, of all people, United States Senator Marco Rubio from Florida pointed out the problem with it. He said it is a federal offense to incite rebellion or insurrection against the authority of the United States or the laws thereof. So Oberman is committing a, a federal f- offense there. A federal offense. Uh, Jason D. Meister pointing out Democrats don't hate guns or walls. They surround themselves with with both of them, they just don't want you to. They just don't want you to. Now, Russ Vaught, remember him? Russ Vaught was the uh, director of the Office of Management and Budget for, um, for President Trump. And he says, and he's now the president for Center for Renewing America. He says, a new era of criminalizing politics is worsening in the U.S. Yesterday, more than a dozen Justice Department law enforcement officials searched Jeff Clark's home in a pre-dawn raid, put him in the streets in his pajamas, 
and took his electronic devices, all because Jeff saw fit to investigate voter fraud. This is not America, folks. The weaponization of government must end. Let me be very clear. We stand by Jeff Clark, and so must all patriots in this country. Now, I'm going to give you some details. You need to know what's going on. The um, Justice Department is being radicalized, is being weaponized against the uh, political opponents of the ruling regime. And it's dangerous. It's very dangerous where this is going. And we've got the details coming up on that. Let me once again express how thankful we are to our advertisers. I want to mention a couple of them to you. They make it possible for us to do what we do. Like my friend Justin Minton, M-I-N-T-O-N, Minton in Benton. Now, Justin's a former insurance adjuster who left the insurance industry to become a private lawyer, founded the Minton Law Firm to help injured people fight against powerful insurance companies and corporations. And he has sure helped me out with the three automobile accidents I've been in since 2019. The Minton Law Firm has a great team of lawyers, including the 2016 Trial Lawyer of the Year and the 2016 Outstanding Young Lawyer of the Year. The insurance companies take Justin Minton and his team of lawyers seriously because they know they can and will take your case to trial if need be. So whether you want to go to trial or settle out of court, it's a really good idea to have a knowledgeable trial attorney on your side. Justice team aims to bring justice to clients who've been injured and need somebody to stand up for them. No matter what the injury, Justin Minton... Make sure the Minton Law Firm always works hard for you. Whether you're in a car wreck, hurt of the job, or you or a loved one is suffering from the carelessness of another, if you're in Arkansas, Justin Minton Law, M-I-N-T-O-N, Minton and Benton, is here to help you. Just call the Minton Law Firm, 501-943-4195, or visit justinmintonlaw.com today. Hey, I'd like to help you with some health issues. You have migraines? Neck pain, back pain, vertigo, acid reflux, eczema, problems with your blood sugar, maybe even hay fever. Okay, let's do a little test. Look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. Are you tilting your head to the left or the right instead of sitting up or standing up straight? If the answer to any of these questions is yes... You probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I got rid of my migraines, neck pain, and hay fever. Let me explain to you how it works because it's the best-kept secret in American healthcare. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system reproductive system, circulatory system, even digestive system, and yes, it can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, acid reflux, eczema, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar. Do yourself a favor. If you're in Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted, because you probably do. If you're outside Central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, and click on Find a Doctor Near You. And I sure hope you can. Thanks again to our friends and advertisers, Drs. J.R. and Tanya Crabtree. 
at the Arkansas Surgical Center there. My friends and doctors, thank you to my friend and lawyer, Justin Minton, M-I-N-T-O-N, and Benton. Thank you to all our advertisers for making it possible for us to do what we do here on a regular basis. Let's go over to American Greatness, amgreatness.com, Deborah Hine. Article entitled, Feds Raid the Home of Former Trump DOJ Official Who Wanted to Investigate Allegations of Voter Fraud. In a pre-dawn raid Wednesday, armed federal law enforcement agents searched the home of Jeffrey Clark, a former Trump Justice Department official who has emerged as a central figure in the partisan House Select Committee's investigation into the January 6th riot. Clark's name was expected to come up in the January 6th committee hearing on Thursday. He served as acting assistant attorney general for the civil division during President Trump's final months in office where he was the only official willing to investigate credible allegations of fraud. In a tweet in March of this year, Clark explained why he has been targeted by the Biden regime. He said, I'm a former Trump DOJ official who, like you, was concerned about the 2020 election. He said, now I'm one of the top targets of the politically motivated January 6th committee. Clark allegedly met directly with the White House to discuss allegations of voter fraud rather than going through proper channels, according to Fox News. Yeah, Fox News, boy, they sure aren't what they used to be, are they? Fair and balance out the window a long time ago. According to previous testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee, Trump considered appointing Clark as Attorney General after former Attorney General William Barr showed no interest in pursuing voter fraud allegations after the election, but several top Justice Department officials reportedly threatened to quit, leading Trump to cancel the plan. The committee subpoenaed Jeffrey Clark in October, and he reportedly invoked the Fifth Amendment more than 100 times during his interview. Russ Vaught, former Office of Management and Budget Director and President of the Center for Renewing America, where Jeffrey Clark is a fellow, released a statement Thursday condemning the raid. Vaught said in the statement, The new era of criminalizing politics is worsening in the U.S. Yesterday, more than a dozen DOJ law enforcement officials searched Jeff Clark's home in a pre-dawn raid, put him in the streets in his pajamas, and took his electronic devices, all because Jeff saw fit to investigate voter fraud. This is not America, folks. In an interview earlier this month, Clark said he had no involvement with January 6th in any capacity, but did want a thorough investigation into allegations of voter fraud. He told Steve Bannon on the War Room podcast on June 10th, this whole hearing process is a kangaroo court with no adversary designed to destroy its targets. Clark told Bannon that it was important to keep an eye on what the left has planned for the midterms to avoid a redo of the 2020 election. Fears of another rigged election are valid because, as Molly Hemingway reported at The Federalist, the Biden White House is in the process of instituting a federal takeover of the election administration and refuses to answer questions about this partisan effort. And um, 
I'll share that with you tomorrow. You know, on the uh, on the next episode of the Doc Washman Show. Update: Clark described the raid on Tucker Carlson tonight, Thursday evening. He told Carlson that multiple people nationwide were raided by the feds at roughly the same time Wednesday morning for their electronic devices. He said, "Increasingly, Tucker, I don't recognize the country anymore with these kinds of Stasi-like things happening." Stasi, of course, was the uh, East German secret police when East Germany was behind the Berlin Wall. Alex Broichwitz out there on Twitter said, Jeff, uh, quoting Tucker, saying that Jeff Clark did not commit any crime. What he did wrong was calling for an investigation into voter fraud. And Jeff Clark joined Tucker to discuss his home being raided by Biden regime armed federal agents yesterday for no legitimate reason. There you have it. So it's after 3.30 a.m. Central, after 4.30 a.m. Eastern. So I uh, want to do one more thing, though, before we, uh, before we wrap it up. Yeah, 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 yeah. One more thing before we wrap it up. All right, hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way, big old car dealership in the middle of the USA. Please in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice. The way you want to, online. Have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States of America. Red River Your Way. Tweet of the day is a two-parter. Every once in a while, uh, Joe Biden is stupid enough to let the camera see notes that have been given to him by somebody else, okay? Including detailed notes about exactly what he has to do, point by point, including in big, bold letters, you take your seat. In other words, they're telling him when to sit down when he's meeting somebody in the Oval Office. Because he has dementia and he doesn't know what to do. And they have to beat him over the head with it. So RNC research shows a picture of Joe Biden holding up this piece of paper, letting the camera see the part they're not supposed to see. And they, the tweet says, White House instructions to Biden, you take your seat. Now that is the shot for the tweet of the day. Now here is the chaser from the great Harry Gatto, former USMC, out there on Twitter, who says, what if someone substituted the prompt card with the instructions to the hokey pokey? Number one, you enter the room. Number two, Preston enters the room. Number three, you put your right foot in. Number four, you take your right foot out. Number five, you shake it all about. And that, of course, is what it's all about. You've been listening to episode 180 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program was produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy.
This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier the Tenth. Well, that's the way it is. Friday, June 23rd, 2022.